Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is practical and relevant to our everyday lives. Please give us through it your wisdom this morning about this problem of loneliness. And we ask that in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Yvette Vickers was a Hollywood B-star movie star. Uh, She was best known for her role in Attack of the 50-Foot Women. I'm sure that many of you have got that DVD on your shelf in your classic film collection. Uh, Yvette Vickers would have been 87 last August, but nobody knows exactly how old she was when she died. According to the Los Angeles uh, Coroner's Report, she lay dead for the better part of a year before a neighbor and fellow actress noticed cobwebs and a yellowing letters in her mailbox. Uh, This neighbor reached through a broken window to unlock the door and pushed her way through the piles of junk mail and mounds of clothing that barricaded the house. Upstairs, she found Vicar's body mummified near a heater that was still running and her computer was on and its glow permeated the empty space. The Los Angeles Times posted a story headlined Mummified Body of Yvette Vickers Found in Her Benedict Canyon Home. Uh, This quickly went viral. Within two weeks, Vickers' lonesome death was already the subject of 16,057 Facebook posts and 800 tweets. She had long been a horror movie icon, a symbol of Hollywood's capacity to exploit our most basic fears in the silliest of ways. But now she was an icon of a new and a different kind of horror, our growing fear of loneliness. Loneliness has been called the world's most common mental health problem and one of the most universal sources of human suffering. A recent study found that about one-third of Australians suffer from the sorrow of loneliness. And we shouldn't underestimate how widespread it is amongst Christians too. Uh, If you're feeling lonely, uh, you're in good company, so to speak. Uh, The list of those in the Bible who have struggled with loneliness is long and distinguished. Uh, Job, described by God as my servant, whom there is no one like on earth, laments himself, all my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. Uh, Great King David, a man after God's own heart, pleads in Psalm 25, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. And the great apostle Paul himself bemoans after his imprisonment in 2 Timothy 1. Everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. And Jesus, Jesus himself, God's own son, at his arrest, finds that everybody has deserted him and fled. 
Loneliness is an experience that hits all of us at some point. And therefore, the question is not probably, have you ever felt lonely, but rather, when did you last feel lonely? Uh, Do you feel lonely even today? There is no shame in admitting that you are lonely. And indeed, in admitting it, it's that essential first step in dealing with it. The fact is, all of us have at times felt lonely. The question is this, what is loneliness? Uh, We know intuitively, don't we, that uh, loneliness and being alone are not the same thing. Uh, Solitude can be lovely, and crowded parties can be agony. Uh, Now, this may uh, date me somewhat, but uh, the musician Brian Ferry uh, summed it up very well in his insightful uh, 1979 hit Dance Away in that poignant line, loneliness in a crowded room. I won't sing it to you. But we also know that loneliness is not simply a matter of external conditions. It's actually a psychological state. Uh, Loneliness is this painful awareness that we lack close and meaningful contact. Loneliness is that ache of the heart, that desire to move away from the sense of isolation and sadness, and this deep desire to connect afresh with others. And it occurs frequently in uh, single adults who are living alone, uh, in elderly people who have just lost a spouse, or parents without partners, or people away from home. And this inner emptiness, it may last for a moment, or it may last for a lifetime. It's worth just reflecting together for a moment on the causes of loneliness. Uh, There are many causes of it, and they can be grouped into uh, five categories. Uh, Social, developmental, uh, psychological, situational, situational and spiritual. Sounds a mouthful. Let's think of each of those in turn. Uh, Social. Uh, What we see around us in society is that things are changing rapidly. Uh, The pace is continuing. But this undoubtedly is causing loneliness. Uh, what What it's doing is it's isolating people from contact with others. Think about the pace of modern life. It means there is less time for developing deep and satisfying relationships. Uh, Ironically, uh, urbanization has meant that people have moved closer together into cities and yet are more isolated often from each other. Uh, Increased mobility. There's torn families apart. The traditional family is no longer uh, an entity. Mobility has torn apart friendships and whole communities. And of course, then we have the technology. Technology of convenience and the dramatic rise in uh, screen time, and that has reduced people's face-to-face contact. So firstly, social. Uh, Secondly, uh, developmental. We all have certain basic developmental needs. Uh, As children grow up, they need to feel close bonds with others. As children grow up, they need to feel acceptance. And as children grow up, they need to acquire social skills to relate to other people. And children who are denied these are more likely to be lonely. Thirdly, uh, psychological. If we have a low opinion of ourselves, 
little self-confidence, we will find it difficult to build deep friendships. Uh, loneliness will also result if we don't know how to or don't want to communicate with others. Uh, fear may cause us to erect barriers to keep others out of our lives. Uh, as somebody has said, and it's quite a, a pithy saying, people are lonely because they build walls instead of bridges. Fourthly, situational. Uh, some people are lonely because of the special circumstances in which they find themselves. Uh, young people, they've moved away from home for the first time. Uh, foreigners, who are newcomers to a country or to an area. Uh, compulsive workaholics, who have no time for relationships. Older people, who live alone. And those who have been recently widowed or divorced. And my mother herself has been a widow now for 16 years. And my mother finds widowhood very lonely. I think my mother would say that is the greatest thing she struggles with, loneliness as a widow. And fifthly, spiritual. Uh, loneliness was not part of God's original good created order. Uh, loneliness was a result of the fall. Uh, before the fall, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed intimacy with God and with each other. But when they disobeyed God, sin, of course, entered the world. And their intimacy with God and with each other was broken. And that breakdown of relationship with God and with one another has paved the way for loneliness. So, a whole range of causes. But at the end of the day, it boils down to two main types of loneliness that emerge from this. Firstly, there is the loneliness because we are isolated from each other. But secondly, there is also that loneliness which comes from being isolated from God. We're not just lonely in society, but as a race we are lonely in the universe because we now suffer as a race this cosmic loneliness. What does loneliness do to people? What are its effects? Uh, we shouldn't underestimate how serious loneliness is. Uh, obviously, the effects vary from person to person, but it may lead to low self-esteem, uh, feelings of worthlessness. It may lead to depression, uh, to alcoholism, to drug abuse, uh, to pornography use, which we looked at last week, uh, to attention-seeking behavior, uh, to violence, and indeed to physical illness and shortened life expectancy. It's been estimated that loneliness is probably more serious to health than obesity. It is that serious a problem. So the question then is this, what is the answer? What is the answer to loneliness? Uh, Jonathan Aitken was a British cabinet minister who was sentenced to 18 months imprisonment for perjury in 1999. In a book published several years later, he described his first terrifying evening in one of Britain's largest and most formidable jails, Belmarsh Prison. He recounts how he listened to the dialogue shouted between the prisoners about what they were going to do to him. 
and a deep sense of fear and loneliness gripped his heart. And he writes, and I quote, I remembered that just before going off to the Old Bailey to be sentenced, a friend had put into my pocket a calendar-style booklet entitled Praying the Psalms. I turned to the page for June 8. It recommended Psalm 130, which began, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. He continues, As I studied its eight short verses, a warm and comforting wave of reassurance flooded over me. Suddenly I realized I was not as lonely, scared, helpless, or vulnerable as I had thought. The author of the psalm had been there before me. Some 3,000 years earlier, he had experienced very similar emotions of despair to mine. And this psalmist had found a route to climb out of his depths with God's help. And he had signposted that route in beautiful poetry recorded in this psalm. That was Jonathan Aitken's experience. Uh, He did the Alpha course and he became a Christian. And that experience in that tragic and traumatic chapter of his life was seminal in that journey. So, just as the psalmist found a route to climb out of his depths, so we find ways of dealing with loneliness in the pages of Scripture. And so now we're going to turn from understanding loneliness to dealing with loneliness. If you were with us last week, you remember we saw that the Bible affirms we are made for relationship. We saw last week, didn't we? Uh, God is by nature relational. It's what we call the Trinity. From all of eternity, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have enjoyed the delight of loving relationship together. So you see, God didn't create the world And he didn't create us because he was lonely. But he did create us to be relational like him so we could enjoy the goodness of intimacy. And that, of course, is what it means, and that's part of what it means to be made in God's image. We are made from intimacy for intimacy. We're both made to relate to God and to people, although, of course, sin has damaged both. So firstly, uh, relationship with God. Uh, Sin tragically causes alienation in that most important and precious of relationships, our relationship with God. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 12 describes our resulting condition as separate from Christ, without hope, and without God in the world. Now that's lonely. That's a lonely experience. To be without hope and without God in the world. And yet, of course, the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that through Jesus, this cosmic loneliness has been ended. Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of 
Christ. On the cross, what happens? What is it in Gethsemane that causes Jesus to sweat drops of blood? Is it the fear and apprehension of the physical pain and suffering that lay ahead, awful though that would be? In part, yes, but it is far more than that. The horror of the cross for Jesus was not just the physical pain. It was the prospect of loneliness, abandonment by God the Father, a rupture in that precious and most enjoyable friendship that he had enjoyed as the Son for all of eternity. And that is what we see on the cross. What does Christ try out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the horror of the cross for Jesus. Loneliness in that relationship with his Father. And it's that love which takes him to the cross. He suffers that eternal, that loneliness. He suffers that loneliness so that we not, need not suffer it eternally. And that is the good news of the cross. Because then it opens up a way for that hole in our hearts, that G-shaped hole, to be filled once again. Christ opens up the way for us to be restored to that relationship which gives us true meaning, which means we're no longer alone in the world. Uh, tragically, we, of course, we see in our society people try to fill that G-shaped hole with many other things, and yet they cannot do it. They turn to work, to pleasure, to marriage, to many things, but at the end of the day, there's only one thing that can fill that G-shaped hole. And Jesus Christ gives us that. And of course, once relationship is then restored, the promise of Hebrews 13 becomes true for everyone who puts their trust in Christ. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will Christ and the Father leave us. And of course, he does that through the indwelling Spirit, that precious gift when we put our trust in Christ. So you see, as believers, we may experience times when, humanly speaking, we are left all alone and we feel lonely. It may be because of bereavement. It may be because of old age. It may be because of moving area and all those other causes we looked at. But at the end of the day, those words of Jesus, as he faced the cross, ring true for his followers too. I am not alone, for my Father is with me. So that's the first area, relationship with God. And Christ brings us wonderful healing in that area. And that is where it has to start, the true healing from loneliness, cosmic loneliness. But it doesn't stop there, of course because we need to move on to think about loneliness in relationship to others. Because there's no point saying, uh, and being super spiritual, as long as we've got our relationship with God sorted, then we will be fine. We'll be preserved from loneliness. That is not the case. We do need that relationship with God, but we also need that relationship with people. And we need deep and nourishing relationships with people. And what we're going to see is God has created various spheres of relationship in which 
we can counter loneliness. Uh, four in particular, which we're going to think about. Firstly, marriage. Uh, secondly, uh, platonic friendships. Thirdly, family. And fourthly, the church family. So firstly, uh, marriage. Uh, marriage, it's a great gift of God. And of course, marriage does provide that potential for a rich companionship. And as we saw last week, it also provides the context for sexual intimacy. However, we do need to beware of over-elevating marriage in our quest to crush loneliness. Uh, Firstly, there are plenty of people who are married and yet still lonely. Uh, Secondly, there are many people who are not married. And the question then is this, are those who are single condemned to a second tier of relational richness in life for as long as they remain single? And the answer has to be no. You see, many Christians think that the primary purpose of marriage is to alleviate loneliness. However, what I want to show you this morning is this. Such a view is misguided. And such a view stems from a skewed understanding of that passage I read to you in Genesis 2. Uh, If you've um, got Christopher Ashe's book, uh, Married for God, he's got a very good section in this, uh, and I'd commend it to you to read. Uh, You will recall that God says in Genesis 2 verse 18, uh, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now then, uh, when we read that, what do we assume? Uh, We all too quickly say, hey, uh, poor Adam, He's all on his own, own, and therefore, he is lonely. But actually, we can't jump to that conclusion. Uh, As we've said, somebody can be physically alone and yet not be lonely. Uh, Adam may have been an introvert. He may have been perfectly content in his his own company. Uh, We're not told. So, the statement, it is not good for man to be alone, has to be understood in the context of Genesis chapter 2. And what is it all about? Uh, Genesis chapter 2 is all about work. The work that God has given man to do. So, that's the unfolding drama in this chapter. Uh, Man is assigned a task to rule over and to manage the creation. And so then, and it's in that context we need to understand this statement. It's not good for man to be alone because the task is too big for him on his own. Uh, Did you notice? Uh, God didn't say Adam needs a companion. What does he need? A helper. And this helper will not only help in the work, but will help create other workers who will help in the work, if you follow that. But it's all to do with the work. And the primary purpose of marriage, therefore, is not in and of itself, companionship. The primary purpose of marriage is partnership in the service of God. The reason I'm laboring this point is is important, and I hope it now is clear to you. For those who are single, there is the temptation to look to marriage as the silver bullet against loneliness. And for those who are single, there's the temptation to say, for as long as I'm single, I'm always going to be in some way on a second tier of relationship in life. But it's not the case. 
And as we're now going to see, there are other spheres of relationship that God has provided to alleviate loneliness. And the danger of becoming over-fixated on marriage is to lose sight of these other areas. So, let's move on. And let's move on to think about uh, platonic friendships. Uh, platonic friendships are a very important sphere of relationship for alleviating loneliness. Maybe those words in Ecclesiastes 4 come to mind. Verse 9, two are better than one. <clears throat> Pardon me. If one fails, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. Well, uh, we all get by with a little help from our friends. We do. Uh, the great British evangelical leader John Stott uh, was a man who never married. Uh, he was once asked about the problem of being signalless and the, the struggles of that. And he replied that the first problem is, and I quote, the tendency to personal loneliness. And he goes on. This has meant that I have needed to cultivate friendships. Do you see? John Stott said, hey, yeah, there's the real danger of loneliness when you are single. And therefore, he said, I have had to cultivate friendships. It's intentional. It's something he had to focus on as a real means of expanding and deepening the richness of relationship in his life. I myself, I didn't get married until I was 40. Um, as I look back over those 40 years, uh, there were occasions when I did feel lonely, uh, usually after the demise of a relationship. There we go. Maybe that's your experience as well. However, overall, over those 40 years, looking back, I can say this. During that time, I had the privilege of some wonderful platonic friendships which were very rich. And those friendships protected me, generally through that period, from loneliness. And non-platonic friendships are a great source of richness in life. And we see the goodness of those enjoyed by characters in the Bible. Think of um, King David and Jonathan. Uh, think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, in his letters, he constantly refers to his dear friends who works with him in that gospel work. And finally, think of Jesus, his disciples. They were his friends. And in particular, of course, John is referred to the one whom Jesus loved. There it is. That deep, rich, platonic friendship. John was his best friend. So you see, even the strongest people need friends. If you're married, it is healthy to cultivate good platonic friendships outside of marriage. And if you're single, it's essential to cultivate good, deep, rich, platonic relationships. Now we know, don't we, that is not easy. Building friendships is not easy. What does it involve? It involves risk-taking. It involves taking initiatives which may be rejected. And it means that at times we need to make ourselves vulnerable, and that is not always comfortable. But do you see? It's easy to withdraw, but what is the danger? 
If we do that, if we withdraw, if we play safe, we lose out. Uh, it's worth commenting briefly on uh, the internet and uh, Facebook because, uh, of course, this is the phenomena of our time. Uh, back in the 1990s, when uh, there was a huge growth in the internet, uh, a new phrase was, was coined. It was called the internet paradox. I don't know if you've heard of it. It goes like this. Uh, the internet increases the opportunity, can increase the opportunity to connect, and yet at the same time, the internet can also decrease the opportunity for human contact. Insightful. The internet paradox. Uh, now, there's a great uh, read in the Atlantic magazine. It's online. Uh, I've read it myself, and uh, it's very well put together. It's humorous at points, but very, very insightful. Uh, I've given you the link at the end of the, the sermon outline in your bulletin. Um, and it wrestles with this whole issue of the internet, and in particular Facebook. Uh, and it's asking the question, and the title of the article is, Is Facebook Making Us Lonely? Is Facebook making us lonely? Um, it's drawing on an Australian study published in 2012 that found that lonely people spend more time on Facebook than non-lonely individuals. Now, at this stage, uh, the research is inconclusive as to whether Facebook has a greater attraction for lonely people or if it is actually making people more lonely. Do you follow? Uh, that's the thing which they're still trying to nut out. But um, let me give you a quote from one person at one end of the spectrum. Uh, Sherry Turkle, a professor of computer culture at MIT, who in 1995 published the digital positive uh, analysis, uh, Life on the Screen. Uh, she is, uh, she's quite skeptical about the effects of online society in her book uh, in 2011, all, all, all Alone Together. Alone Together, sorry. Uh, let me quote from her. Uh, let me give you her words. These days, insecure in our relationships and anxious about intimacy, we looked to technology for ways to be in relationships and protect ourselves from them at the same time. The problem with digital intimacy is that it is ultimately incomplete. The ties we form through the internet are not, in the end, the ties that bind, but they are the ties that preoccupy. <clears throat> Yet cultivating friendships involves the sharing of oneself in a personal and vulnerable way that Facebook does not facilitate. That's quite insightful. Uh, Facebook, it's a great tool uh, for staying connected with people, uh, especially if they're geographically distant. But Facebook has its limitations. Now, I can commend to you also a book by Tim Chester, uh, which is a little book called Will You Be My Facebook Friend? Uh, that's also a good read. And in that booklet, uh, he issues the following words of caution. You can think of yourself surrounded by friends without ever having to engage with the challenge of real-world relationships. You have a lot of friends, uh, a loose electronic diaspora, without ever really being known. Your idolatries, your selfishness, your struggles are never really seen. Instead, a lot of people get a sanitized version of you. Now, I'm not bagging Facebook. Uh, it does have some many positive aspects to it, but we do, you see, 
need to be careful how we use it. To use it for good and not in a destructive way, especially in the sphere of our relationships. So we thought about marriage. We thought about non-platonic relationships. Thirdly, uh, family. Because family is a sphere of relationships given by God to alleviate loneliness. Look at Psalm uh, 68, verse 6. God sets the lonely in families. Now, families can be a place of conflict, of course, and discord. But in and of themselves, and in God's original good design, families are a place of rich relationships. That this wonderful social unit where we have the privilege of this inner ring of friendships in the most intimate way. Family, it is a blessing of God. And it's not just that families help us with our loneliness. It may be that we also help other members of our family with their loneliness. Uh, 1 Timothy reminds children that they have a responsibility to care for their parents and grandparents in their old age. 1 Timothy 5, verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. That's a challenge for me. Uh, My mother is on the other side of the world but I know she's lonely. And the question I need to wrestle with is how can I care for her in that sphere of my life? How can I help her with her loneliness? And in our society, people do move around. They're now geographically more distant. And so now families are scattered. But that doesn't give us an excuse to not still care for those in our families. And the final sphere of relationships we need to consider is, of course, the church family, because this is another sphere of relationship which God has given us to alleviate loneliness. Our church family, it is designed by God to be a community, a community of ideally deepening and enriching relationships. And of course, that's been our aim as a church, hasn't it, over this last year? Thinking, how can we deepen our level of church life together? In the New Testament letter of James, it challenges the Christians of its day about their attitude to those who are probably lonely, to the orphans and widows in their midst, uh, those who are single through no choice of their own. Uh, James 1 verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so we need to care for each other. Of course, we need to do it on a Sunday, but it's got to be far more than Sunday, hasn't it? Home groups are that great way of deepening our friendships and our level of involvement in each other's lives. And so therefore, we do need to be thinking of ways of, in which we can deepen our relationships together. Hospitality, another great way that we can step out and reach out to each other. 
And we also need to be thinking, who in our midst may be suffering from loneliness? And how can I be used by God to care for them? So I want to summarize the challenge in two ways. Firstly, there is a challenge for us if we are lonely. If I am somebody who is lonely, I need to be willing to admit it, and I need to be willing to allow others to get close to me in order to allow them to help me. You see, if I'm lonely, then pretending everything's okay or putting up the barriers and keeping people at arm's length, that's understandable, but it's not going to help at the end of the day. It's only going to make it harder for others to reach out and to help me. And so therefore, the challenge if we're lonely is to be honest with others and to allow them to care for us. And the second summary challenge is those who are not feeling lonely today. Because the challenge to us is to therefore care for those who are lonely. To reach out to them, to be sensitive to them, to be hospitable to them, and to be caring. So in conclusion, uh, God has provided different spheres of relationship within which to help us with this horrible problem of loneliness in a fallen world. But there's one final thing we need to observe, and it is this. As we look beyond the scope of this life, beyond it to heaven and ultimately to the new creation, what do we see? We see a life without loneliness. And that is our destiny as Christian people. Life in heaven and the new creation, it'll be a life without loneliness. And that is a wonderful blessing that Lord Jesus Christ brings to each of us through the cross. And that is the tragedy for those who don't trust in Christ. Because in refusing to trust in Christ, they're actually condemning themselves to an eternity of loneliness. For eternity, they will cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is why we need to keep holding out this precious news of the gospel. This precious news which we're celebrating at Easter afresh this year to those who don't yet know it. And that is why we need to thank God for Jesus because on the cross he endured that cosmic loneliness to save us from it. Thank God for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, loneliness blights our lives in different ways and in different times. And it is a horrendous blight on our lives. Uh, we know the Lord Jesus himself was not immune to loneliness. And we see him suffering that cosmic loneliness on the cross for us, to deliver us ultimately from cosmic loneliness. Thank you for those different spheres of relationship you have provided for us. Help us to draw on those uh, and to work within those uh, to deepen the richness of our relationships and to banish and to move away from that situation of being lonely. And help us to be sensitive and caring for each other in this as well, we pray. And we ask this all 
In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.